0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Nina, Pleasure to have you. Pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for taking some time in the afternoon in the UK to join me on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: You're very, very welcome. And, you know, we always like to get this show started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the current moment.
1: Well, my name's Nina, and right now I'm the research manager at an NGO called Health and Harmony, um, which works with rainforest communities to draw down carbon. Um, and protect tropical rainforests from deforestation. The Where I started, depends how far back you want to go, but um, I've always been really interested in multi-species communities. So I was really interested in agriculture. Um, I had an urban farm in high school. That morphed into a strong interest in microbes and disease ecology in university. Um, so my background is in disease ecology, how microbes travel between bodies between ecosystems and just how interconnected all of those systems are um, and i have a master of science in one health that's a field that merges public health and veterinary medicine and also in creative nonfiction writing um, because i think storytelling is is a really important part of science um, and i tend to write stories about microbes in our world
0: really really cool um what, what kind of story do you have any like published stories or is it more of like a hobby type thing
1: yeah, I have a few published stories. Um, more on the way, uh, mostly in literary magazines. Um, you can you can find stories about sea star wasting disease. Um, that I'm from Seattle, Washington, in the U.S. So, um, the health of the coast has always been really uh, near and dear to my heart. So
0: definitely that's a really cool combination i think it's really important to have someone who can kind of communicate the complexities of our amazing world you talked about how all the systems are in co- interconnected but yeah i mean it's all just one big system that we all live in and there's like different layers of it one thing i, I want to ask is is i feel like so you're in you're in uk and europe right now where they they use the phrase ngo but we use the phrase nonprofit is there is there a difference between those two things
1: No, non-governmental organization, non-profit organization, uh, same thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I never hear people in the U.S. say like NGO, and I noticed that it's always brought up in Europe, so I figured I would just ask that. Yeah, so like when did you first become like fascinated with like the microscopic foundation of how our world works?
1: Well, I would say I've always been interested in what I call the tiny slimy things. So I grew up in the Pacific coast of the United States. Um, some of my earliest memories are walking through the whole rainforest, which is just dripping in mosses and water and liverworts and slime molds. Um, I would always go out with my family and catch newts in the pond. So I've always been really intrigued by things that, are, that have evolved so many more millions of years ago than my species has. And it wasn't until I was looking at agriculture, extinction, biodiversity, that I realized microbes have so much power um, in this world. And when we start to look at the effects of climate change and the importance of rainforests for capturing carbon, we start to realize how how interconnected it all is. We have microbes in our gut. That's an ecosystem. And also the air that we breathe is part of an ecosystem with forest trees and their soil microbes. So I I think to understand how we're going to live in balance with our planet, we need to understand how to do that with all the different organisms. And microbes are so often not considered in that. But I think it's microbes, it's trees, it's biodiversity, it's people. And that's often also separated out from the mix. We think of nature and, and humans as somehow separate, but There's one thing I've learned in this role and and in my work as an ecologist, there is no separation. There is no health of humanity without health of ecosystems, and there's no way that forests can be healthy if people... And societies aren't well and healthy.
0: And that's one of the biggest concerns about what's going on now. Now, my company is called Climate Change Realty, and our mission is to work on pressing challenges. But um, I spend a lot of time, and we in public discourse spend a lot of time talking about climate change. But me personally, when I think of the most pressing challenge of our time, it's this potential mass extinction event that we are facilitating, whether it's through changing the climate or sucking up resources. So I'm wondering what is your current perspective on this, you know, ecological crisis that's currently going on with your deep understanding of how uh, biological systems work?
1: Absolutely. Um, The nature emergency, the climate emergency, and the emergency of injustice on Earth can seem overwhelming and it can seem... Like, how can we address all three? How how what am I supposed to do? Do I need to pick one? And 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 that's a hard question because how can you justify picking one and leaving the, the other? But also as one person, how are you supposed to tackle three global emergencies at once, right? Um, and I think actually, the more that I've worked with Health and Harmony and also studied ecosystem interconnectedness, I've realized They're actually one crisis. And and while that's overwhelming, it's also really, really hopeful because it means we don't need to work in silos. In fact, we can't work in silos. If, If we as the global community try to address any one of those, so climate crisis, nature crisis, and injustice, human injustice, separately at the expense of the others, it doesn't work. We know that when conservation efforts displace indigenous peoples from their land to create a national park it hurts people and it does not last it does not it does not work we still see logging we still see farming people have to eat and if it's a traditional community's land they have the right to that land for example um, similarly if we try to address healthcare injustice with just providing medicine then you're not addressing all the upstream drivers of disease. Disease comes from the ecosystem. Health comes from an ecosystem, right? If you have forest that's degraded, you see increases in malaria, decreases in clean water. Uh, you see more forest fire and smoke-related respiratory illness. So if you want to improve health justice, you also need to think about the health of an ecosystem upstream as a form of preventative healthcare. Um, and I think all of these, They really need to work together. And if you can address all three, that's the only way we're going to we're going to get through this and come out on the other side.
0: I, th- I think that's a, an amazing perspective and you put it so eloquently. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more and I didn't know that at all. I went out, um, trying to be a simplistic guy and be like, okay, let's pull out the CO2 and then we'll be good and everything will keep going. But when you really look into the issue and try to learn how to effectively fix it, um, these part, yeah, the way you put it, the, the health crisis and then the biological crisis and then the climate all deeply interconnected, um, yeah, it it's worth that's that's kind of worth diving into really deep on a whole episode with an, uh, someone else. But um I'm wondering how these degraded ecosystems might be affecting specifically um when it comes to human health in more developed areas that aren't necessarily subject to like malaria or other or these other diseases like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's global. It's absolutely the case, no matter where you are in the world. We know that global South communities are at the front lines of the climate crisis. That's uh, a lot to do with economic injustice. If you don't have an economic resilience built, then then you're likely more vulnerable to climate shocks. But that does not mean that it's limited to the global South. I'm from the West Coast of the United States. We have wildfires like crazy. It, I'm from Washington state but we get smoke from California and we also have a lot of burns in eastern Washington in the pine forest as well when I was home a few years ago so growing up this was never the case we did not have mega fires in my own in my own childhood in the 90s and the the first decade of the 2000s in the last 10 years almost every summer there's a week or more of blackout in the sky the sun is this little orange disc gross you can look straight at it It's like smoking a pack of cigarettes if you walk outside during the day. Another issue that we have is heat. This is in Seattle again. We're a temperate climate. We're on the ocean. We tend to stay rainy, as we're famous for in the winter. We do get sun in the summer, but it's usually in the 70s. This past summer, we had a week of temperatures over 110 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: In Seattle? Yes. Wow.
1: This has... The the temperature level record was broken on Monday and then again on Tuesday and then again like the all time record since people started recording temperatures in degrees fahrenheit on the continent of North America oh, it was just a
0: coincidence it
1: was broken all week so and and that has huge health impacts there's heat stroke there are people without access tons of people in the in the seattle without access to air conditioning to cooling water we saw the ecosystem suffer as well there were millions of shellfish boiled in their shells in the mud flats that both settlers and indigenous people depend on for food in the in Seattle area. This happened last summer. So this is not confined to the global south, we are seeing health impacts across, we see hurricanes in Miami, hurricanes in Louisiana, these are all fueled by the climate crisis. Um, Hurricane Katrina, for example, we saw uh, the dual effects of climate change and ecosystem breakdown and injustice. Let's, let's look at all three, right? Mm -hmm. The the effect of a hurricane like that the storm surge is not being buffered when salt marshes are degraded. The hurricane itself gets more power when the water that it forms over is hotter. And when communities don't have access to strong infrastructure and evacuation methods in Louisiana, that's an injustice issue. So all three coming together is what creates these, quote, natural disasters. But really, they're, they're disasters with natural and human components because we're the same.
0: Wow. Yeah. What what a fantastic point. Um, can we can we get some more background on Health and Harmony, maybe like who founded it, what the, the organization mission is and what you're doing there as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Health and Harmony was founded in 2007 by Dr. Kinnery Webb. Um, she so the sort of origin story of this um, organization is that when Kinnery was uh, studying orangutans in Indonesian Borneo um, as an undergrad, she came to the realization that these primates were actually uh, being severely threatened by habitat loss. So when we talk about mass extinction, the most threatening thing to almost any species is habitat loss, whether that separates populations of of orangutans from each other or decreases food or it increases the the interaction with domestic species on the edge that spreads disease. It, It all comes down to habitat And Kinnery realized that there was so much logging inside this national park forest called Gunung Palung National Park um, that the orangutans might be extinct in her lifetime, whether she studies them or not. And that just didn't sit right. So she said to herself, why is this forest being logged? What's happening? And she didn't know. And the answer is you have to listen to the people who do know. So Kinnery spent years uh, throughout the next few years Listening for hundreds of hours to the loggers and their families and people living in and around that forest and saying, why do you log? Do you want to be logging and what would you need to stop logging? And that was the birth of our foundational methodology, which is called radical listening. So what she heard in that case was that people needed health care. If they didn't have access to healthcare, They might have large medical bills that they need to pay in cash. And the only way to get that in an emergency setting is to cut these large hardwood trees out of the forest, ironwoods and others, and sell them for timber for not very much money because the value increases as they go out towards shipment. But the loggers themselves are getting a very small fraction of the value. They're risking their health and they're they're risking arrest if they're logging in a forest that's protected. But they would do that because of needing health care. The other thing that communities said they would need was training in farming as an alternative livelihood to logging. So neither of these came from Health and Harmony. They all came from listening. But that responding to those needs is where Health and Harmony was born, to provide just exactly what communities had requested, had designed themselves. So access to healthcare and access to farming training in that particular community. Now, that methodology, it, it works anywhere, because it's inherently about listening to the people with the expert knowledge of what they need in their communities, in their rainforest, in order to be able to live in balance with that ecosystem in the future.
0: Can you expand a bit more on this idea of radical listening and how someone might put it into practice in their daily lives or when it comes to trying to promote you know, more environmental stewardship?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for me personally, this is what drew me to the organization. I find radical listening essential. And, and revolutionary and also really simple. We call it radical listening, but it's, it's just listening, really. <laughs> and um, the reason that we call it radical listening is, one, because it's just not done that much, especially in, in development and, and climate. We need to do it a lot more. And two, because when Health & Harmony listens, we do it with the intent to invest precisely in the solutions that communities design. We're not just listening out of curiosity or to gather information. We don't know what will be said before we start listening, but we are already committed to investing because we're committed to the expertise of who we're listening to. We know that they're the experts, the rainforest communities, and whatever they design, we're committed to investing in that solution. So practically what that looks like um, at a site where Health and Harmony has been invited by communities to conduct a radical listening meeting, um, we might hold... Anywhere from 10 to 100 community members in a, in a community meeting ask that one simple question: What would you need as a thank you from the global community to live in balance with this rainforest that is a precious value to the entire planet? And then it's really active listening for it could be hours um, while community members discuss and go back and forth and offer options and, and come to a consensus. It could also take place over weeks, months, years. Um, we get the initial design. We also go back for implementation. How do you want this implemented? How's it, how's it going? What's not working? It's iterative. It's, uh, it's ongoing. So that can be applied, I think, to, to really any issue where there's injustice or a power imbalance and the, those with the expertise are not being respected, are not being listened to uh, to the extent that they should, um, which I think could go a long way towards solving most of the issues that, that we're facing
0: So when it comes to your organization's position on this, is it specifically regarding listening to those who have a proven track record of being stewards of rainforests? Is that right?
1: It's actually important for us that we're listening to the whole community. So we understand that it's really different in every context where we work. But um, even if it's a context where community members themselves might seem from an external perspective to be, quote, poor stewards or mm-hmm. what have you of a forest. Maybe they're logging, maybe they're burning and, and conducting agriculture, maybe they're hunting. Um, this definitely happens in rainforests around in the sites where we work. But we don't expect that that's because communities don't value the forest. When we have conversations and and speak with communities across the board, community members will tell us, that they know the value of the rainforest. It's very important for water, for food, for health, for future generations. It has, it has value beyond just the practical in terms of the spiritual value, the existence value. But if somebody doesn't have access to a C-section, to an antibiotic, to food, and then they need that and degrade the forest because it's their only option to obtain that resource... That's not because of a, of a devaluation, that's because of a really tough situation, a really hard decision where there wasn't an alternative. So it's actually those community members that we value their input the most, where where they may have degraded the forest in their own lifetime because of needs, but they know why and they know what they would need not to do that. And they can offer us that knowledge and then we can invest in what they design, whether that's healthcare, agriculture training or supporting education.
0: So... In this specific case, by providing communities with what they most desire, which in, in, in case it's a pretty simple, you know, simple proposal, good health care and a potential to farm and, and uh, make food, this will then in 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 consequence lead to better stewardship of the land because they can focus on higher order priorities. Is, is that kind of what, what you're getting at?
1: Yeah, more or less. Um, I think it... it it comes down to meeting meeting human needs. So if there's an alternative way to meet those needs for food, for shelter, for school, for healthcare, um, that does not require degrading activity, that's what we invest in. And then community members don't have that pressure to say log to pay for healthcare. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. So in Indonesian Borneo, where we've been working since 2007, um, community members designed... Access to high quality, affordable health care, including midwifery, primary care, dentistry, as well as training in organic farming. Uh, and over the first 10 years, we saw an, a 90% decrease in households reliant on illegal logging. Wow. That's because when people didn't have to log for healthcare, when they didn't have to log to pay for food, they didn't it's not the first choice of a livelihood. Like i mentioned, it's, it's really hard on the body. It's, it poses a legal risk and it degrades the forest, which communities do not want to do. Um, so at the same time, we also, because these are not siloed interventions, these are not um, just healthcare or, or just conservation we also see improvements in human health metrics. So over that same period of 10 years, there was a 67% decrease in infant mortality, for example. So it really reflects uh, the interconnectedness of human health and rainforest health. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm I'm wondering how this idea of radical listening could be implemented back in the US. I'm thinking, for example, Um, I'm from I was born in Manhattan and I could have gone down one path where I become an investment banker and spend all my time walking on cement and, and, you know, living in between these plastic or whatever steel walls. Um, I'm a big believer in the idea of discourse and hearing everyone's opinion. But how could this idea of radical listening be implemented when it comes to someone who. Uh, I mean, you're saying like like most people are like want want the rainforest to continue to grow, but some of these like I'm I really think of like the investment banker types like they really don't care. They just want to make money today. So how how is listening to them versus someone who's literally living in you know some of the most nutrient rich or um, biodiversity rich areas in the world? How does that kind of comparison come into play when it comes to this radical listening idea?
1: Yeah, I think. The the one metaphor that I really liked that that resonates with me is is that we're all in the same we're all in the same boat, right? We're all on this one planet. We all have one atmosphere. And one of the really remarkable things about carbon molecules is that as soon as the carbon dioxide molecule is released from solid carbon, so whether that's a tree that's cut, or a forest that's burned, or a fossil fuel that's that's mined and burned, as soon as that carbon emission is a gas, it spreads out. It it disperses evenly across the whole atmosphere. Now, if that's not the biggest equalizer, I don't know what is. So if you're an investment banker and you're living in Miami or you're living in New York City or you're living in Seattle, you're experiencing sea level rise, right? You're experiencing tremendous wildfire. The smoke from these wildfires, it carried all the way to New York City. You're experiencing incredible heat waves, dumps of rain, tropical storms, uh, increased food prices, these are all results of what's happening in a rainforest. And it might feel far away, but in our modern world, it's right next door, right? And the, the biggest thing to realize, I think, about our interconnectedness is that the flow of resources, it does not. you do not need to be in a rainforest to listen to rainforest communities and invest in their solutions. You can do that from anywhere. That's what technology lets us do, right? So the the investors in these solutions are investment bankers in New York City mm. or wherever they might be in the world. It's a it's a global community effort to listen and then invest. Health and Harmony works right now to try to be the the sort of the broker. We bring in the listening skills and then and then sort of publish those solutions. and And our goal ultimately is to make this process as direct as possible so that everyone in the global community can invest directly to indigenous peoples and local communities and their solutions. Um, And we're working on that through various technologies um, right now, but for now, Health and Harmony is sort of acting as that that middle person to bring together who, who are pretty much equally important partners in this work, whether that's an investment banker in New York or a community leader in Manubu Rainforest. We see it as partners.
0: And I, I definitely see it the same way, and I, I appreciate that. And you, you, you speak a lot, your organization obviously focuses on the rainforest, and you mentioned the rainforest specifically in that example when you're talking about carbon molecules. So I wanted to ask you what, in your opinion, about like some of the most important ecological focal points that we can focus on to balance our climate system. Um, as I understand, you know, less science than you, I come from a business background, um, soil health, and then specifically. Um, like peat moss in the north. What, what is it? Is it like the boreal forest or is that something else?
1: Boreal forest in the Yeah.
0: Um, it, it holds like it has some of the most carbon rich deposits. So I'm wondering why the rainforest is such a, a focus point for your organization. And if you had uh, some other perspectives on what the most important fol- ecological focal points were on this planet to balance the climate system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, as an ecologist, you know, I I love ecosystems. They make me very, very inspired, very peace, feel a lot of a lot of peace and joy and, and curiosity. There's so much you can never understand a whole ecosystem. Um, for carbon, we know that tropical rainforests and as you mentioned, boreal forests are extremely important. Um a lot of it just has to do with the types of organisms that build their bodies out of dense carbon, right? So, um, big rainforest trees, boreal forests also lots and lots of trees, wood built out of carbon. We see peat, so peat or sphagnum moss is this like really beautiful, bright green, sort of floral-shaped, um, spongy bog moss that grows uh, where there's low, low oxygen and low nutrients in a forest floor. So we see that a lot in the in the north, the high north, as well as in Indonesian Borneo and, and other parts of Southeast Asia with what we call peat swamps, that soil carbon is extremely dense. Um, it's also flammable Yeah. because peat is actually, you know, we know carbon, fundamentally carbon burns really well and it's a fuel. That's how we got into this pickle, by burning it as fossil fuels for energy, right? So oils and coals are generally speaking, peat and similar organisms that have been pressed for millions of years. Peat soil, it's just a younger version of a fossil fuel, if you think about it that way. So it burns really easily. And that's another reason why preventing fires in peat forests, as well as preventing deforestation, is, is a big focus for us um, to prevent emissions. But I just would also tie in the human component of these ecosystems. its I always come back to the fact that ecology is inclusive of humanity. It's it's not separate or or next to it or adjacent. So another important feature of ecosystems is what's been happening there with governance and with resources and with people. Because of the history of colonization and extraction, a lot of tropical rainforests are experiencing the ramifications of, of years, decades, even centuries of extractive colonialism. And our methodology is explicitly anti-colonial, and it works to reverse that flow of resources and, and return or reinvest resources that are currently held in the global north back to communities in the global south, in tropical rainforests, uh, who have had those resources extracted from them. Through colonialism, and and in that way, it's it's a return or a reinvestment of resources.
0: Could you expand on that, that a little bit? The idea of anti colonialism and how, what specific resources are you referring to when it comes to bringing them down into the global south?
1: Yeah. So so big picture, um, the history of European colonialism across the rest of the map has really deep consequences on justice and ecology today. Mm-hmm. So even though we're not currently living in the colonial period where, say, let's just say Great Britain, because I'm that's where I'm sitting right now, but any number of these European sort of colonial superpowers, they might not be the reigning power um, today. But over the last two centuries, there have been sort of two forms of colonialism, broadly speaking. There's either extractive colonialism where traditional systems of governance, of knowledge, of religion, of language, of resource use were disrupted and exploited. And, and that just leaves a, a tremendous debt and a tremendous damage. Uh, there's also settler colonialism, right? If we look at countries today where the colonists never left, for example, my home country of the United States, Heard of that as well. well as others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so colonialism is, I, I think the key is that it's not in the past. It's in the present. Mm-hmm. And we need to be aware of that history and of the effects today and where those power, power imbalances still remain and why. So we understand where that reinvestment needs to happen to rebalance. And I think we can even envision the climate and nature crises as fallout of colonialism in that way.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting, interesting point. Um, I'm wondering how that would relate to bringing healthcare to these communities and i was wondering your thoughts on how or the work that health and harmony is allowing this to become systematic and self-reinforcing so they can pass it to the next generation and then they can just have good healthcare systems like we do in the global north.
1: Yeah, i think i think one sort of systemic change that we want to to see happen and that we're pushing to make happen is is the recognition of the importance of radical listening and planetary health across international organizations and across governments Um, and ultimately putting, making sure that indigenous peoples and local communities are in the driver's seat. Um, So for example, at COP26, the climate change conference that was recently held in Scotland, um, there are, there is a big movement for indigenous peoples and local communities to, to be in that driver's seat, to be, the ones leading the solutions for climate change. And one thing um, that that really struck me that I heard there was the, the system of exploitation and colonialism has gotten us into this trouble. So it can't be the same tool that gets us out. And um, one of the uh, community leaders that spoke at COP26, who's a colleague of mine, Juma Chapaya, who leads the Shapaya people in the Brazilian Amazon, she said along the lines of if, if the indigenous peoples had been listened to in the first place, we wouldn't be in this climate crisis, right? So I think it's a paradigm shift that governments and funders and international bodies and companies all need to recognize who the experts are in, in the solutions to the climate crisis and then really listening and investing in those solutions,
0: I certainly agree. And there's no doubt that over the history of humanity, indigenous people have be, been the most effective stewards of the land and have a a, a spiritual connection to the spaces that they've inhabited for, for years. But when it comes to allowing local people or non-colonized communities to take the the driver's seat on something like healthcare, if they don't have the knowledge, is is that saying that we're not going to train them because we're colonizers or how i'm just i'm sorry to, to push on this issue i'm just curious how that dynamic would actually effectively work
1: i think it comes down very much to humility and to listening it's actually a sort of colonial mindset to think that there is an expertise in the colony in the colonists that isn't there in the indigenous, and what we're really working towards is to to flip that, to rebalance that, and to realize that maybe it's the colonists or the or the colonizing um, groups, nations, parties who have the most to learn, right? And and also that it's that it's bi-directional. So there are um, a lot of proposals. So for example, recently we've been working in the in the Brazilian Amazon. And through radical listening with indigenous and riverine communities, um, there's been a request to have a new healthcare system, not just bringing in Western medicine, but doing it selectively, right, in a community-designed way. So, to put it frankly, there are no non-colonized parts of the world or non-colonized communities. There are indigenous communities. There is sovereignty. But what I what I mean is everybody's affected. And everybody's part of the same global community in a way, right? So there there is no sort of pure or separate or or historical. We're all here now. And and this is the world we have. So, So it's about working to find the right balance and doing it on the terms and with the design of the indigenous and local communities to determine what that balance is. So in Brazil, it may be a combination. It will probably entail, so far, what, what communities have designed is expeditions by boat from uh, from the city with, with more Western medical practices, um, for example, access to vaccines. But it's also what is called a forest pharmacy. So making sure that traditional knowledge about what plants and products from the forest heal what ailments is preserved and is protected, that the land is protected, that the access to those natural pharmaceuticals is protected and that the knowledge is protected and passed down within the community. And whatever we can do as Health and Harmony to support that knowledge transfer and that protection of resources, that's what we've been asked to do. That's what we're investing in. So it doesn't have to be either or, but the the fundamental tenet is that that balance, that combination, that solution, it's designed by the communities to work best for them.
0: Yeah, I don't think it ever has to be e- either or. You can always learn something from a different perspective and there's oh we're always expanding and coming up with more knowledge. So that that's really great. Um yeah, the health the healthcare stuff is is messy. Um I feel like in the US we have the, it's just all about like Okay, you have one ailment. We'll give you one one cure, and then continue to buy more pharmaceutical drugs. It's just a—it's all a mess. Um, th- we could learn a lot from both sides, I suppose. The the holistic way of of healing versus like the pick in approach. It seems like always the middle ground is kind of the most effective way to go because you can learn more. Um, so, can you tell me a bit about your your kind of day to day work at Health and Harmony? What pro- projects you're specifically involved with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the research manager. Um, so I primarily in charge of research. Um, we have a lot of collaborations going right now that I'm really excited about with universities and, and other institutions. Um, so I can just describe a couple of those. Yeah, please do. Um, right now in Indonesian Borneo, we're partnering with Stanford University to ask whether and exactly how these community designed interventions for planetary health may have increased the resilience that communities have in the COVID-19 pandemic. So the COVID-19 pandemic, it's a health pandemic, but it's also, of course, has massive economic ramifications and destabilizations. So we want to know if communities that do work with Health and Harmony that have, through Radical Listening, had their community design programs invested in, if they were able to weather that pandemic without needing to resort to more logging or overfishing in comparison to communities who didn't have that relationship. Um, we don't have the results yet, stay tuned, um, but we're looking at it with satellite imagery. So uh, looking at, at the forests in real time around various communities and also with interviews. It wouldn't be a, a health and harmony study without, without listening. So there's, we've um, also conducted a thousand interviews with households to ask really specifically, you know, what have you been up to in the last year? What's your livelihood looking like? What's the situation on the ground? Um, so, another project that we're working on in Southeastern Madagascar. It's um generally about one health interventions to prevent disease. So um, broadly put, we're asking. And, and this is in collaboration with several partners. When when you work in One Health or Planetary Health, it, it, you need partners. You can't ask a question about humans and ecosystems and, and all these different things alone. So we're in partnership with the University of Chicago, um, Harvard Teach Chan School of Public Health, Central Valley Bio, and Zunu England. And we're asking, do these community-designed interventions, so the ones we've discussed around healthcare, farming training, and school support um, in Manumbu, Madagascar, do they prevent or reduce the risk of viral spillover and could actually serve as a solution to prevent the next pandemic. Um, As we know, preventing instead of responding to the next pandemic would save millions of lives and trillions of dollars. And we, uh, we know that when forests are disrupted and when humans are not well in forests, there's a, that, that increases the risk of spillover. What we don't know scientifically, what we don't have evidence for yet is whether and how those community-designed interventions actually reduce that risk by keeping forests intact, by keeping wildlife healthy and in forests, and by keeping humans uh, healthy with access to health care. Um, so we're really excited about those two research projects to try to understand. And, and really what I see is my role as research manager is translating the expertise of rainforest communities so they, they develop these solutions through radical listening, Um, And it really works. We know from one study uh, that's been published so far that the impact is really great. So in 2020, we partnered with Stanford University to do an analysis of the first 10 years in Indonesian Borneo from 2007 to 2017. And it found that in those first 10 years, deforestation in the rainforest was stabilized and reversed. So 52,000 acres of rainforest grew back because people did not have to log. And when you convert that to carbon, we see that a $5 million investment, so that's what programs cost, returned $65 million in averted carbon emissions as compared to control sites where Health and Harmony was not working with rainforest communities. So if you want to talk about an effective carbon drawdown mechanism, a a cost effective one, this is it. I mean, trees are free once you let them grow, right? Um, so re- so research is really important to, to quantify and make sure what we what we're seeing on the ground like really holds up and I want to translate that knowledge that we know that rainforest communities have as the drivers of these solutions into a format where governments and universities can see it can pick it up and then ultimately turn it into policies and and run with it we we don't have time we know that this is a climate change podcast but um, according to the IPCC report, right, we have at this, at this point eight years to significantly change our systems and draw down carbon if we're going to avoid 1.5 degrees Celsius and irreversible tipping points in our climate, right? So, so we need to move with this knowledge. And I, so as research manager, I want to get this information out. I want to get the evidence into peer-reviewed journals, and I want everybody anybody listening, governments, universities, to really to really take that up and, and use this model in their climate action.
0: This is spectacular work you're doing, and I really appreciate hearing your perspective and having you on the show today. How can people get more involved directly in the work that Health and Harmony is doing?
1: We would love for you to be directly involved. So um, we have a website, healthandharmony.org, and it's a great resource. We're on Twitter and Instagram, so follow. Um, of course, we would love partnership, investment. We have a travel program, um, donations. We would love to have you visit. We have uh, options for school programs to come, um, individuals as well, medical students. Um, we have a whole different, a whole suite of ways to get involved. So so check out the website and also reach out if it's not clear to you You know what way you want to get involved um, right away.
0: Very good, Nina. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. I always love to ask people at the end what uh, advice do you have for young folks who are passionate about helping to foster a better world.
1: I love that question. Um, it won't come as a surprise, but I'm going to say listening. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> it's a good listening one. and and um, and asking. Asking and listening, so so one, one piece of advice I like to give young people, because I, I found it useful as a young person, is something called the five whys. If you see something in the world that you don't think is right or you want to work on, ask why it is that way, but not just once, but five times, right? So ask on the first level, and then you'll get to another situation. you know, why? So why is there climate change? Why? Well, because we're losing rainforest. Why? Because they're being logged. Why? okay, this is where you need to start listening because maybe you don't have the right guess, right? But you start listening and you realize it's because there's not access to healthcare. And then you say, well, why? Okay, because, and you keep asking until you can finally get to the the expert that has the right answer. And then from there, you'll know where to go.
0: Definitely get get to the root cause if you actually want to fix a systematic problem. Very cool. Nina, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the next eight years. We could definitely use your help. Uh, Thank you to Health & Harmony. And it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, too. We need all hands on deck. So I I really appreciate the, the chance to be here today. Thanks a lot. You're
0: very welcome. My pleasure. All right, everybody. See you soon.